Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslima. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. First of all, I want to thank people for coming back to this. I apologize for uh, being absent the last few weeks. I was going to try to get some out, but I was became really intensely engaged in some work at Zaytuna College. So... Today I wanted to look at uh, a sacred text message. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, that those who have khashya or this awe of God are the, the ulama. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us to ask the people of knowledge if we don't know. Uh, and also, Are they equal those who know and those who don't know? And so it's central in our faith, this idea of knowledge. And, and we were commanded by our Prophet ﷺ to seek knowledge, to seek knowledge uh, in weak uh, narrations. It mentions from the cradle to the grave. Ibn Abd al-Barr mentions uh, a report that the Prophet ﷺ said, seek knowledge even unto China, which uh, irrespective of the Senna, the meaning is certainly true. The Prophet ﷺ encouraged seeking knowledge. He mentioned that the, uh, the Indo-Europeans, if there was knowledge on Pleiades, that they would attempt to get that knowledge uh, through space travel even. So there's the, the idea of seeking knowledge is very important, and Ibn Majah and Imam Rabayhaqi and others relate hadith about seeking knowledge and one of them, one of the most famous ones is Muslim, that seeking knowledge is an obligation on every Muslim and then in the idraj of the hadith which is a mudraj hadith is something that the rawi adds, the person that's narrating it adds uh, for clarification and so the rawi added on, the narrator added on to that wa muslima just so that people would not interpret that to mean the males only, that knowledge is incumbent on the male and the female. But one of the most important things uh, in our tradition also is this idea of honoring the people of knowledge, of honoring uh, scholars and scholarship, and recognizing because as human beings, what, the, what distinguishes us from all of the rest of creation is knowledge, that we are distinguished by knowledge. It's, it, it's what makes us different. Animals have all of the other uh, aspects of our uh, nature. So animals eat, they can eat more than we can. Animals procreate, they can procreate more than we can. Animals can lift things, they can build things. Beavers build dams, bees builds, build hives. Ants build ant hills that are actually called qarya in Arabic, the qaryatun nimal the city of the ants, so, and, they, and they're, they're quite intricate in that. So animals do all of these different things, but what can't, what can't they do that we can do? They, they can't reason and they can't abstract. As far as we know, there is no other creature outside of the jinn 
on this planet that abstracts. And so because of that, the highest knowledges are the most abstract knowledge. And the most abstract of all knowledges is knowledge of God, of, of uh, metaphysics. So honoring scholars is really important on, in our tradition. So I wanted to just look uh, at this uh, aspect of our tradition. One of the things that uh, Ibn al-Mubarak said was, and he's one of the great um, scholars of the third generation. He was a student of Imam Malik and a teacher in his own rights. Um, but he said, Whoever makes light of the scholars loses his afterlife. And those who make light of the rulers will lose their, their worldly affairs, their dunya. And then he said, And those who make light of their brothers, uh, they lose their dignity. So this is something that um, I think traditionally Muslims really understood this, that, uh, you, th that there's a hierarchy in the world and that hierarchy is meant to be respected. And without it, the world cannot exist as, 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 it, as the divine intended it. And just to give you an example, we're born into hierarchy. We're born into families that, that our parents are over us. Even we're born into a birth uh, order that will really dictate certain aspects of our life. So we have older brothers and sisters, and they have different rights uh, than we have being in that position, being in the elderly position. And in some cultures, like in the South Asian culture, they actually distinguish these things with titles that they give. So the big sister is, is actually the word. It's not just my sister. It's my big sister. And so when she's addressed, she's addressed as the big sister, out, out of show, a display of respect, but also a recognition of hierarchy in the world. There's a wonderful... A moment in the, uh, the, the great novelist Dostoevsky's work, which is called the, um, the Demons. One translation is The Demons, another translation is The Possessed. And Dostoevsky wrote this novel to really highlight the fact that um, Russian society was breaking down with all these new materialistic, atheistic ideas and was eroding the traditional religious culture, which, which he loved, um, the Slavophilic culture. But there's, there's a scene in, in the novel where they're, they're debating the existence of God. And there's an officer uh, who's in this debate, and Dostoevsky just makes this mention that he gets up in the middle of the debate and shouts out, as if speaking to himself, Dostoevsky says, he shouts out, if there's no God, then how can I be a captain? Which is an incredibly profound question, because... What he was saying, if, if there is no hierarchy of being, then how can, I, how can I be in a position that, of authority above anyone else if there's no one above me, if there's no God? Then, then, because once you remove God, all authority dissipates. And this is, this is why atheism ultimately breeds communism, which says there's no hierarchy. And, and yet, because it's such a false doctrine, it invariably creates a hierarchy, and then they have to kill each other, and they have to kill everybody who disagrees with them. 
So this is something really important. So when you lose scholars, when you lose this understanding of that there are people who know and, and there's people that don't know. And ignorance is real. And we're all ignorant. Every, I, there's many things. I mean, there's far more things we're ignorant about than that we have knowledge of about. But certainly, though, those who know something, if, if, for instance, if I get into a discussion with a, a physicist about physics, I'm a fool. Uh, what I should do is simply, if I'm interested in physics, is learn from him. But this idea that I can have a real conversation with him, even though I've actually read a, uh, a few books on physics and I'm interested in physics, but I am by no stretch a physicist. And so for me to debate a, a physicist about physics is, is absolutely absurd. And the same is true, for instance, I was a cardiac nurse, but I'm not going to debate a cardiac physician or a professor of cardiology about whether or not striated muscle is, is real or just simply uh, a name that we're giving to something we don't really understand or, you know, is the all or nothing Frank Stark law of the heart, is that really, is that really accurate? Uh, I, uh, who am I to do that, to discuss those things? I would be a complete fool if I did that. And yet we live in, a, in, a, in an age where people seem to feel compelled to have an opinion about everything. And I think the worst thing about it is for the Muslims who should know better, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly says, La and do not go what you have follow what you have no knowledge about. Don't don't go there. So if you don't know, Allah says, ask the people who know. If you don't know, Ask the people who know if you do not know. But the problem with that is that it demands humility. And this is the crux of the matter, is that a lot of people, especially semi-educated people, I heard a Christian once, he was asked, why are all the educated people atheists and, and the real simple people um, believers, like the Africans, they're all believers. I mean, he literally said the Africans, you know, they're believers, and yet the level of education in Africa is much lower than Europe, whereas in Europe, they're, they're much higher levels of education, but the majority of them don't believe anymore. And this Christian man, he said, that's very easy, because knowledge tends to puff people up. And, and they become arrogant, and they actually think they know much more than they actually do know. And whereas with, with simple people, there's a type of humility that, that allows their hearts to be open to truths that only the heart can comprehend. And I just thought that was a really good answer, because my experience for a lot of people that are highly educated is that they do slip into a type of puffery. And, and, and it's really sad. So just recognizing who you know, that, that scholarship, if somebody spent their life studying for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, I mean, we have scholars that literally have been studying for 70 years, like Sheikh Abdullah bin Beya. And, and then for, for me to be like a 30-year-old writing articles against him, I just... It, I mean, the gall of it just amaz it really amazes me. And, and, and people obviously, oh, well, so are you saying they're above criticism? 
nobody's above criticism, but who, who is the critic? Who is the critic? The only one above criticism is the Prophet and but, but who is the critic? The, because the word in Arabic for critic is naqid, which means the one who can determine what's gold and what's not. So it's the person that can actually determine whether something is pure or impure. So who can do that? Well, that has to be somebody who really knows something. But when, when you're young, you think you know everything. And as you get older, you, you're, you know, they say that uh, fruit, a heavily laden uh, uh, tree with lots of fruit, it, 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 the branches are low because there's so much weight from the fruit. And this is the reality. People are humble. So one of the things that uh, Imam uh, Ahmad ibn al-Adra'i said, الْوَقِيعَةُ فِي أَهْلَ الْعِلْمِ وَلَا سِيَمَ أَكَابِرُهُمْ مِنْ كَبَائِرَ الذَّنُوبِ To attack the people of knowledge, especially the greats among them, is from the enormities, from the, the major sins, like just like the kabair. So attacking people that have immense knowledge is actually, it's a kabira. And what, what's amazing too, it, it's quite stunning, is that people write things you know, they say, blessed is the man who dies and his sins die with him. People don't realize that when you write something on the internet and you're dead, that's still on the internet. So your backbiting will go on forever. As long as people are reading the internet, your backbiting is on there. Or, or if you write an article, if you write a book against somebody. And the thing is, people can write books. We have uh, great scholars who attacked other scholars but they were great scholars. So Imam al-Ghazali can attack Ibn Sina, and then Ibn Rushd could come along and attack Imam al-Ghazali because they're, they're nuqad, they're, they're critics. They can determine what's gold and what's not gold, and they can be wrong just like any critic can be wrong, but they're at that level where they can do that. And so it's always interesting to me that the people that tend to attack the scholars tend to be, nobody's ever heard of them. They haven't written anything. They haven't really established themselves as great intellects. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I just, I don't, like, I don't know who I could really criticize amongst the great scholars because I would feel like such an idiot just like to write a book against, I love Ibn Rushd, um, he disagreed with Imam al-Ghazali, and I love Imam al-Ghazali, but I'm not going to write a book about why Ibn Rushd was wrong in his criticism of Imam al-Ghazali. I just wouldn't do that, even though the ulama say, generally our ulama say, that he was wrong in certain of his critiques, but I'm not going, I'm, I might quote a scholar saying that, but to, to, to say that is, it seems like just an extraordinarily uh, overarching uh, thing to do. And I mean, obviously, to point out things that our scholars have said uh, that, are, that are wrong, if it's agreed upon or if there's reasons to do it, then you know, I would make an exception for that probably. But again, 
you have to know your place in the grand scheme of things. Even the angels say each one of us has a fixed station, like not to go beyond your station. And it's better to think you're below your station than to think you're at your station or above your station. Sidi Ahmed Zarruq says that whoever is, has a station uh, that he genuinely has and he claims it, Allah will take it away from him. And if he claims a station over his station, Allah will expose him with scandals. And, and if he claims a station less than his station, Allah will elevate him to a station over. He says that in the Qawaid. And, and he looks at that like a metaphysical um, qaida. So it's, it's really important not to, uh, you know, to, not to know who you are and where your place is in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's actually a very important thing to know. That's why self-knowledge is so important, because how can you know anything else if you don't know yourself? How really can you know anything when yourself is the closest thing to you? And yet so many people do not know themselves. They don't know their limits. They don't know their intellectual limits. Like to recognize at a certain point, which I had to do at a certain point, I just realized I have real intellectual limitations, genuine intellectual limitations. And, and largely because I, 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 I read a lot and then I see what really profound thinking is and I see what really original thought is, and I see what really illuminated thought is, and then I look at my own thinking, and I look at what, what I have produced myself, and I recognize what an immense gap is between myself and my own understandings and that of the people I read. And one of the things that I've noticed that a lot of people do, a lot of people read books. You know, there's a great line by a poet laureate uh, he won the Nobel Prize for Poetry that says, you know, people read books and repeat quotations, draw conclusions on the wall. But there's, Rumi said, if you want to be considered a great scholar, just say whatever you want and then attribute it to somebody else. And so there's so many people that, like, they read tafsirs and then they, they speak it as if it's their own insights. Like, it's, they don't tell who they're quoting. Like, I, I heard one person giving a talk and I knew exactly where he was getting everything because I'd read the same thing. And yet never once did he say, it's from so-and-so. It was as if he had all these amazing insights into the, uh, the book of Allah. You know, or somebody would make i'rab of the Quran and like, oh, well, this is, uh, you know, Damiru Sha'an or something like that. How does he know it's Damiru Sha'an? Because he read in the tafsir that it was Damiru Sha'an. He didn't produce that. And this is the difference between a student of knowledge and real scholars, is that students of knowledge, we read what others have said. But for us to think that we can produce something that from our own, quote, unquote, original thought, hey, hata, like the Arabs say, um, so it's, it's just really important to know that. And I think the older you get, the more, the more you, you kind of you realize that, 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 uh, that we're just so limited in our understanding. But attacking scholars is just really, really dangerous. Attacking anybody is dangerous unless there's a real reason to, 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 to do that. And obviously, delusion is an important part of human existence. Many people are deluded. And so obviously, they'll say, oh, I'm just protecting the deen. And I, and I mentioned that Imam al-Ghazali's great quote, in the book of knowledge. But 
Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu said, Al-bala'u muwakkarun bil-qawl. Law sakhibtu min kalbin la khashitu an uhawwala kalba. This is the Sahabi, the companion of the Prophet and he said that all of tribulation is related to speech. He said, if I mocked a dog, I would be afraid that I would be turned into a dog. That it's just, it's something we have to be really careful about. Just making fun of people uh, or attacking people, doing these things. I mean, it seems to be the, the, the zeitgeist now is all about attacking other people. That, that's what, there's so much of it. There's so much uh, negativity out there. And, and I, I think if you go online and, and, and look at this, you're going to get sick. Um, I'll tell you something that uh, Ahmed ibn Hanbal uh, anhu said. Uh, he said something amazing. And this is uh, mentioned in Al-Mu'id fi Adab al-Mufid wal-Mustafid. It's a very interesting statement, but it's recorded that Imam Ahmed himself said this. The flesh of the scholars is poison. Whoever smells it will get sick, but whoever eats it will die. Meaning the heart. It's the death of the heart. So whoever smells it, that means that if you just read it, if you're reading people making fun of or attacking or... And there's a lot of it. And I'm not putting myself in here. Let me, let me ex- make something perfectly clear. I, don't, I am a student of knowledge. I do not consider myself one of the ulama. Uh, by Western standards, uh, people can consider somebody a scholar. That's fine. But not by Islamic standards. I know what a real scholar is because I've actually been blessed to study with them. This is who they're talking about. They're talking about these people who Allah has chosen because the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith sahih that Muawiyah relates, the Prophet ﷺ said that من يريد الله به خيرا يفقهه في الدين Whoever Allah wants good for, He will give them understanding of the religion. That is called a jumla shartiya. It's a conditional sentence, which means that if somebody has understanding of this deen, Allah wanted good for them. So who are you to want bad for them if Allah wanted good for them? Woe unto you. Woe unto you. And, and, and so when you look at people who've been given great knowledge, and people say, oh, he's this or he's that or he's... You don't know what his ishtihad is. You don't, he's working with a whole other set of, of criteria that you don't have. You don't, know what, you don't know what he's going to defend himself on the Day of Judgment. How are you going to defend yourself if you attack him and he has an ishtihad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said on the tongue of his Prophet ﷺ because all of what comes from the Prophet ﷺ is revelation. The Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ أَشْتَهَدَ وَأَصَابَ فَلَهُ أَجْرَانْ وَمَنْ أَشْتَهَدَ فَأَخْطَأَ فَلَهُ أَجْرَ Whoever does ishtihad and is correct in his ishtihad has double the reward. And whoever makes ishtihad as an incorrect in his ishtihad, he, in other words, he's mistaken. So the scholar could be mistaken. But he has the criteria that enable him to make that ishtihad. If he's mistaken, Allah is going to give him a reward anyway. But who are you? 
what, what reward are you getting other than the accrual of sins by attacking people you have no business attacking? No business attacking. And so people can, and I know this is a democratic age, and everybody says everybody's entitled to their opinion, and, and people say, um, you know, that they can say whatever they want. Well, that's, that's true. You can say whatever you want, but you just have to know that, like Imam Madik said, that mandara anna karamuhu min amalihi qalla karamuhu. When a man realizes that his speech is from his deeds, his speech will diminish. In other words, he'll begin to speak less and less because he knows he's going to be taken into account for every single thing that he says in this world. And that includes what you write on the internet. You will be taken into account for it. So you should just know that. I mean, this is just nasiha to myself and to everyone else. You should just know every comment you make just like it's preserved on the internet, it's preserved in your sahifa. And it's going to be show, you're going to see it. All that mockery, those little emojis that you put, all that making fun of people, whatever you're doing. And I know the people listening to this aren't those people, so a lot of you don't need to be hearing this. But it's something for all of us to think about. And maybe, just maybe, there might be somebody listening to this who actually does participate in these types of things and will say, Astaghfirullah. You know, I, I really need to change my ways. Because in the end of the day, in the final analysis, we're all moving towards the akhirah at such a rapidly increasing rate that we need to be getting ready. And one of the best ways to get ready is to guard your tongue, to guard your pen, which is just an extension of your tongue, to guard your keyboard, which is just an extension of your pen. This is life on earth. And this is what we all need to know. One of the poets said, That the flesh of the people of knowledge is poison. And whoever opposes them is quick to perish. So be a helper to the people of knowledge. And should you one day attack them, Right. Just be prepared to take what comes. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purify our tongues, make us people of uh, purity and righteousness, elevate us, uh, make us people of tawbah, of repentance, of forgiveness. I mean, you can be talking about somebody and they're in sajda doing tawbah. And Allah's accepting their tawbah and you're backbiting them. And the hadith that said backbiting is worse than fornication in Islam People say, how could that be? The ulama say, the thing about somebody who fornicates can make tawbah and Allah accepts the tawbah. But if you backbite, you've attacked another person. And you, you, technically that can't be redressed until that person forgives you. So it's worse in that way, in that it's more difficult to remove from your sahifah than even something as enormous, and, and it is an enormity. So I'm not belittling, and certainly the hadith, I'm just quoting the hadith, at least in English. So, so I, you know, I was thinking just about Sheikh Abdullah bin Mayyib, who, who I've known personally for many, many years. I, he was my teacher in the 90s, and uh, con I continued to learn from him and benefit from him. And 
increasingly he got involved in a lot of forums uh, to where he was attempting to mitigate a lot of the attacks on Muslims and and there's people that have clearly disagreed with his approach and his views but one of the things that is remarkable to me about people that attack people like Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya is it's the question is never about is is what he's actually doing haram or halal like what's the hukum shar'i of this and then are you somebody that can determine that because you have to be at the level of some level of ishtihad to be able to determine that i once heard somebody was telling about some criticism that he was getting and he said ana ma fa'altu haraman i haven't done anything haram and i just that really struck me it's a very simple statement but it just really struck me as something wow you know that's that's how he's looking at things halal and haram is is this permissible what i'm doing or is it not and obviously he has a whole set of criteria for why he would be doing what he's doing because he obviously thinks some greater good is going to come out of what he's doing that's his ishtihad but what what really strikes me is that the the people who attack him essentially i mean it, very often it's pure ideology it's just because he's not an ideologue and they happen to be following some type of ideology um and so so they somebody like that who is recognized as one of the greatest living usuli scholars of our tradition when in pakistan when the hanafi ulama came to an impasse in dealing with certain questions in 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 uh, in, in uh, some issues that had arisen in Pakistan uh, Sheikh Taqiuddin Usmani who's one of the greatest scholars of the Hanafi school in in the subcontinent uh, sent to Sheikh Abdul bin Bayya seven problems and that is actually part of the Hanafi usul according to uh, Abdul Fattah Abdul Fattah Ghudda told me that in the Hanafi usul that they will go to the Maliki opinions if they don't resolve the problem within the Hanafi uh, school and so they actually sent him and he solved all seven of those problems uh, these are recorded as well but then if you look also at his service i mean first of all he comes from one of the most notable mauritanian families his father was a qadi his father was probably the, the greatest living scholar of the 20th century in Mauritania um, uh, and that was recognized even by people like uh, Sheikh Muhammad Ramin Shinqiti who the great mufassir of Quran uh, recognized uh, his his position his maqam so that was his father and he spent his life there studying and then at the age of 20 went to Tunisia with some of the top scholars in Mauritania he was the youngest of them and he graduated first in his class amongst these scholars he actually gave a interview on uh, the voice of america in 1961 i think 60 or 61 representing the students there in uh, the mauritanian students in tunisia so even the elders put him forward uh, as their spokesperson so he was recognized just for having a genius in fact muhammad amin ash-shinqiti i was told by his son uh, muhammad al-muhtar 
who died recently, Allah he is one of my teachers in, when I was in Medina. He's a beautiful man from the uh, clan of Tejikanat in Mauritania. But he told me, we were talking about Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayy, and he said, you know, my father used to say that Hadam al Abaqirat al Mauritania, and he, he's one of the geniuses of Mauritania. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, that he had a creative mind, that, that he, wasn't, he wasn't like a run of the mill. I mean, the Mauritanians are very, it's very difficult to impress a Mauritanian scholar uh, because uh, they, you know, they really do have a lot of knowledge. So, but the Mauritanian ulama all recognize Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya. But even more importantly, this idea somehow that he would support, you know, anything that's unjust and people say, oh, well, he's supporting this or he's supporting that. Again, he does his ishtihad and in the late 70s, he was sent by the president of, uh, of Mauritania, uh, Muhammad al-Mukhtar, um, Mukhtar Wadidda. He sent him to uh, Libya when there were problems between Mauritania and Qaddafi, who had uh, taken power in Libya. And he sent him there. And the only reason I know this story is because the Mauritanian ambassador at the time, who was in, in Libya at the time, actually recently revealed this last year on, uh, on t- Arab television, uh, this story. Even the children of Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya were unaware of this story. So Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya gave his, delivered his message in the presence of the ambassador because always when a, uh, a visiting uh, politician visits another country, the ambassador will accompany them uh, to the palace or to whatever the, the president's uh, residency or his office. And so the Mauritanian ambassador said that Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya, when he finished uh, delivering Mukhtar Wadidda's uh, message, the president of Mauritania, he said, look, this was from my president, but I have something personally to say to you. And, and Qaddafi said, Qaddafi looked at him and said, what? He said, you need to fear Allah. He said, you cannot attack uh, the, our, our Sahaba, you, what you've said about Abu Huraira, what you said about Sahih Bukhari, what you said about things in the Quran, I want you to make tawbah. And Qaddafi, the ambassador, related all this. It's, you can see it, on, it's on YouTube. He said that Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayyah, when he said that, Qaddafi was taken aback. And this is somebody who killed people. Like, literally, as far as we know, dumped scholars into the ocean uh, in, in, in the Mediterranean. Um, there's still, nobody knows what happened to poor Baqar al-Sadr, the great Shia scholar from Iraq, but it, it's believed that he was dumped into the ocean. So, you know, this is a mawqif, like this is speaking truth to an unjust ruler. Who amongst us has actually done that? Like, really? Like, who amongst us has actually done that? You know, put their lives into jeopardy for their belief. And so the ambassador said, Qaddafi started arguing with him, and he said, I'm not, he said, you're wrong, and you need to make tawbah, and I will not leave here until I hear you retract your statement. So the ambassador said that he didn't, finally Qaddafi relented and said, no, no, you're right, astaghfirullah, you're right, and then he left. So that's something to think about, you know, and, and that, if that's a man who was, now he's 87 years old, 
and he spent his life serving this religion, he's going to sell his religion at this late stage when, when he knows that just by being a mortal that he's looking at his own mortality? I mean, that's just, I don't know how, what people, how they reason. It just doesn't make sense. So, but I know who he is because I've spent years, I've spent over two decades living with him, traveling with him, translating for him. I know who he is. I have no doubts. Well, I have no doubts. Lenu Allah ahad. You know, we can't, only Allah knows the reality of people. But I, in myself personally, I believe that he's one of the awliya of God. Because I've seen it. Like I've seen, and many people who have worked with him have, have uh, felt the same thing. Oh, only Allah knows these things. We can't, it's not our business to determine. But that's my belief. So when I look at him, I don't, I don't judge him. I, I might disagree. I, I can actually disagree with something and, and think mm, I would have done this differently or something like that. But the idea that I don't recognize the level of scholarship and the sincerity and the valid authority that he has to determine his own path. I mean, that seems to me to be something just really obvious and clear. And I just feel sorry for people that uh, the way that some people have talked about him, it just, to me, I, I would just not want to be in their shoes on the Day of Judgment. I really wouldn't. Um, I mean, there's always time for Toba, but uh, it just it's, it's amazes me. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshallah uh, elevate all of you and increase you and keep you uh, going inshallah uh, until uh, inshallah we meet again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.